So good to see many of you today. If you have your Bibles, please get ready to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. What will convince you to do something that you are deathly afraid of? What will convince you to do something that you are deathly afraid of? This past week, I had to take my seven-year-old son to get his blood drawn for his allergy test. And as you may guess, as any seven-year-old may react to the news that they will have a big needle stuck in them for their blood to be drawn, Micaiah was deathly afraid. He didn't want to do it. And so, like any loving father would do, I attempted to persuade him and convince him and even manipulate him by bribing him. First, I enticed him with a gift. I'll buy you whatever you want. Up to $20, of course. For a seven-year-old, $20 is a lot, so maybe too much. Second, I assured him with good news. Micaiah, if you go through with this exam, it'll help you breathe better. You won't have to blow your nose so much every night and every morning, especially when springtime comes and allergies are crazy nasty. It'll help you taste food better. You'll eat more and grow strong and have muscles. Finally, I comforted Mike with a guarantee. I said, remember a few months ago when dad went to the hospital a lot? Dad also had to get blood drawn all those times, and dad was really scared too. But it's not that bad. You'll be fine. I'm going to sit here right here with you, so don't worry. And guess what? My little Mike did great. He cried just a little bit. But he didn't pass out like his dad did the first time I had my blood drawn. And literally my doctor had to resuscitate me that first time I had my blood drawn. The gift, the good news, and the guarantee helped Mike face his fears. In our passage this afternoon in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 12, young Timothy in a similar way is exhorted and encouraged by the Apostle Paul to follow his example, to face his fears in suffering for the gospel. We're continuing a new series through 2 Timothy titled Faithful to the End. And my prayer as we study this soul-searching epistle is that we would be challenged to be unashamed to suffer for the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? According to Crossway's Bible reading infographic article, it only takes 11 minutes to read through the entire epistle uh, in its entirety, so I encourage you to read it through multiple times in one sitting. It only takes 11 minutes. Two weeks ago, when we began to study, I shared with you 2 Timothy is one of three pastoral epistles that the Apostle Paul writes to encourage his young disciples, Timothy and Titus, regarding the Christian ministry. Unlike the two other letters, which is about practical instruction for appointing and overseeing leaders, maintaining proper order in worship services, and addressing various issues within the church community, 2 Timothy is a deeply personal letter. And the reason is because this letter is basically Paul's farewell letter, the last of the 13 letters Paul writes in the New Testament. And it's written from a cold, dark, dingy, just wretchedly terrible Roman prison. You see, under the Roman emperor Nero's reign, whose ploy was to wipe out Christianity off the face of the known world, Paul had fallen victim to Nero's targeted persecution as the leader of the movement. And Paul was bound by chains as a criminal. He was being tried in court, and it wasn't going very well. 
and his execution was at hand. Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Paul notes, Many who were partners in the gospel have all turned away. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. And it is in these conditions, brothers and sisters, Paul writes a heartfelt letter exhorting his young disciple Timothy, Pastor Timothy, who may also have been tempted to be ashamed of the gospel and also of Paul because of fear. Paul encourages Timothy to remember the power he can experience if he would, in fact, go forth, press forth in suffering for the gospel. And so the main idea of the passage that we're about to study is this. Christians should not be ashamed of the gospel in the face of fear and suffering because the power of God's gift and the gospel and the guarantee of our salvation is at work in us. One more time. Christians should not be ashamed of the gospel in the face of fear or suffering because the power of God's gift and the gospel and the guarantee of our salvation is at work in us. Amen? So from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6-12, through 12, I want to share with you three reasons why Christians should not be ashamed of the gospel in the face of fear and suffering. Here's the outline so you can follow. Point number one, the power of the gift from verses 6 through 7. The power of the gospel from verses 8 through 10. And the power of the guarantee from verses 11 through 12. The gift, the gospel, the guarantee. Brothers and sisters, I pray this word will exhort and encourage you to be unashamed for the gospel and to share in the suffering for the gospel. Amen? Guests and visitors, welcome. If you do not consider yourself a Christian here today, we especially welcome you. We've been praying for you, praying that the Lord would lead you here to hear his word today. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We pray that through this message, you would find Jesus' words as a comfort to your soul, and that ultimately you would find Jesus as the Savior of your soul. So without further ado, let's turn to his word, found on page 995 in the Blue Bibles around you. And as you turn there, as you look there, I want to ask you to please keep your Bibles open and reference it often as I read and preach, so that you know this is God's word for you, to grow you in love, knowledge, and trust of him. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 12 says this. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages begin, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard 
until that day, what has been entrusted to me. Why should Christians be unashamed of the gospel when fear and suffering come our way? Point number one, because of the power of the gift from verses 6 through 8. Look with me again to verse 6. It says this, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. In the previous verses from verses 1 through 5, Paul thanks God for Timothy as he remembers Timothy's sincere faith. Paul knew his disciple Timothy was relatively young, according to 1 Timothy 4.12. That Timothy was physically weak and had frequent ailments, according to 1 Timothy 5.23. And at the time of Paul's imprisonment, Timothy might have been fearful or timid, as other translations indicate, as according to 2 Timothy 1.7. And so Paul remembers Timothy in prayer constantly, night and day. And as Paul prays, he is reminded of Timothy's tears of Timothy's love and affection for the apostle. But more importantly, as Paul remembers Timothy in prayer, he is thankful to God because of Timothy's sincere faith. Paul remembers that the source of Timothy's genuine faith is grounded in the will of God according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus and by the mercy and the grace and the peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Not only that, Timothy's faith is not just any faith. It is a sincere faith that has been the result of persistent prayers and faithful discipleship of Timothy's grandmother Lois and mother Eunice and of Paul, Timothy's spiritual father. Timothy's sincere faith was the fruit of a heritage of faith. And so Paul says, for this reason, because Timothy, I know your faith is not fake faith or nominal faith. Because I know your faith, Timothy, is genuine. For this reason, I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. What Paul means by the gift of God is answered by the following phrase, isn't it? Which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul was not speaking about some spiritual impartation that took place as some Christian charismatics would interpret this verse. There is no mystical power nor authority in human hands. Only the authority that Christians can claim is the authority of God's words. Paul was recalling Timothy's pastoral ordination, the day when the church at Ephesus gathered together, much like we're gathered today, along with the elders, the pastors of the church, and with Paul's apostolic authority, Timothy was affirmed by the congregation of his biblical qualifications and of his pastoral calling through the laying on of hands. Paul was saying to timid Timothy, remember the gift of God which is in you, which we all affirmed at your pastoral ordination. Fan that gift into flame. Rekindle that gift. Don't let it die down. Don't let it grow cold. Don't back down from what you have committed your life to. Don't forget what we all witnessed and affirmed before God and before the body of believers you were called to pastor. Fan into flame the gift of God which is in fact, indeed, in you. In my pastoral ministry career, I've been ordained or installed three times at three different churches as a pastor. My first ordination was at Global Mission Church in 2011. My second installation as an elder pastor was at Capitol Baptist Church in 2017. And my installation as a pastor here at New Covenant Baptist Church in 2021. And each of my ordination installation was so special. But I remember my first ordination was especially memorable because it was my first time. 
The Lord had brought me uh, to the U.S. at a young age, gave me the grace to be raised in a Christian family by my aunt and uncle, provided for me in indescribable ways through some very, very difficult circumstances, through school, through seminary, and to Maryland where I met my wife and many of you. I remember the message given by the guest preacher at the ordination vividly as he exhorted me and the congregation that as a pastor from that day forth, I was no longer to live my life for James Choi, but as a bondservant of Christ. That as an under-shepherd of God's flock, that I was to live as if my life as James Choi was good as dead, but that the life I was to live now was in Christ, through Christ, and for Christ. As the preacher spoke from Luke 9.23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross daily and follow me. Brothers and sisters, I was so fired up. I said amen and amen to those words. And I said to the Lord, this is indeed my desire and prayer that I may be spent for your glory all the days of my life. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Less of me, more of you. You are my all in all. That was my prayer. That was my desire. I was fired up. At the climax of the ordination service, uh, at the end of service, uh, I was granted the authority for the first time as an ordained pastor to close the service with the benediction for the first time as Reverend James Choi, which just means an ordained minister. Well, I don't know why. Perhaps it was the Holy Spirit or, or nerves. I don't know what it was. But for some reason, my voice became three octaves lower and, and a few decibels louder than my already obnoxiously loud and intense voice as I gave the benediction that day for the first time as an ordained minister. And now, may the grace of our... I don't know. That sounds really scary. Sorry, kids. Not like that, but just deep and loud. And now, may the... I don't know. Anyways, when I think about that special moment of my ordination as a pastor for the first time, and the second time surrounded by godly elders at Capitol Hill Baptist Church as they laid hands on me to serve there for three years, and the third time as the pastor of New Covenant Baptist Church, and Lord willing, my last ordination, because I plan to be here forever until I die if you would have me. When special pastor friends came from all, all over the town and across the country who came to participate, witness, and affirm, and laid hands on me for my installation, it was a moment that I would never forget. And a moment that will always remind me of the power of the gift that was granted to me by God through the laying on of hands. A gift that I aim to rekindle into flame again and again. I have three pictures in my study of this day, so that it will fuel me up to minister and pastor through the ups and downs of ministry, and especially in seasons of sorrows and suffering. Why? Because, as verse 7 says, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Notice the specificity of Paul's words. Why should Timothy fan into flame this gift? Because for God gave the gift of the pastorate was a gift given to Timothy. It was from God himself. Human hands and the gathered congregation affirmed, but the gift was from God. And as far as Paul was concerned, God had not retracted his gift to Timothy. In fact, Paul's imprisonment and his impending execution provided the opportunity of transition of the apostolic office to Timothy to carry forth as Paul's time was coming to an end. And so you notice Paul's specific words there. For God gave us, not for God gave you, Timothy. God gave us, Paul and Timothy, and all whom God had gifted this office, a spirit not of fear, 
This is an important word for Timothy and for you and me today, especially for anyone here who are prone to fear and shame for his name. Paul was saying we are not a people marked by fear. The pastorate is not an office characterized by fear. Sure, Timothy and even Paul and all who call themselves Christians may feel fear, but this is not from God, you see. Feelings come and go, brothers and sisters, doesn't it? Feelings are not the determiner of our reality, you see. Circumstances change for the better or for the worst. But Christians are God-centered people, aren't we? We rely on God's timeless truths. We rely on his reliable words. And elsewhere in Scripture, Paul writes in Romans 8.15, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Paul says in the first part of that verse, fear is spiritual slavery. But what's the second part of that verse? But you receive the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba and Father. The answer to fear, brothers and sisters, for Christians, the answer to fear, the antidote to fear for all Christians is what? Is prayer. We can call on God as our Abba. Abba, Father. In Korean, it's similar. Abba. Romans 8.15, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. This is amazing. I want you to understand this insight, not to go off on a tangent, but do you know how to pray this way, brothers and sisters? So many Christians today are anxious and depressed and fearful because they don't know how to call on Abba. They don't know how to cry out to Abba Father. They bottle it all up inside. They don't know that Abba Father is listening. They don't believe that Abba Father is our very present help in time of need. They don't think that suffering is an opportunity ordained by the sovereign Lord himself for you to lean and trust in him more and call on him, Abba, Abba, Abba. Here's an invitation, beloved. Psalm 50, 15, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. When you call on the Lord in the day of distress, you will be delivered and you will glorify God. Hallelujah. Back to the passage. Hence, Paul says to Timothy, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. All those three gifts are important. They are not natural things, you see. True power, true love, and true self-control are not possible from sinful human beings. We can't conjure this stuff up. We can't make it up on our own. Fear is natural. When difficult circumstances come, it's natural for human beings to be afraid because of sin. As theologian and author Ed Welch says, to be human is to be afraid. It's so natural. It comes naturally to us. Sinful human beings are weak. Sinful human beings hate and despise one another and judge one another. Sinful human beings lack control and lack discipline. Perhaps if you participated in our 40-day corporate fast, you learned a few things that reminded you that we can't control our physical, mental, and emotional dispositions, right? We can't control our desires. We can't control our appetites. We can't control our inward temptations. That's why Scripture says those who do not know God are dead, in their trespasses and sins. Unbelievers have no reason whatsoever to stop doing what they want to do, to feel what they want to feel, to think what they want to think. 
This is who all of us once were. But God has given us a spirit of power and love and self-control. Hallelujah. Now, by the spirit of power, love, and self-control, Paul is not talking about different spirits God bestows on some people and not on others. No, there is one spirit, the Holy Spirit. And his spirit is on us on the moment, at the moment of our conversion, when we trust in God, when we repent from our sins. His spirit is one of power, love, and self-control, among others. You can read about the fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5.22. But in addressing these three in particular, power, love, and self-control, perhaps they were exactly what Timothy needed in his day of distress and what he lacked. Whatever characterized Timothy's fear and timidity, Paul reminded him, God has given you, God has given us a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. Everything Timothy needed to serve and proclaim the gospel, Paul says, you have it in Christ. Paul says in verse 8, Hence, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Now, we're going to touch more about what Paul meant to share in suffering for the gospel in the next point. But the point of Paul's exhortation to timid Timothy is this. There is nothing to be ashamed of regarding the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Simply, Paul's point is this. Suffering here and now is not a reason to be ashamed. Let me repeat that again. Suffering here and now is no reason for you to be ashamed, believer. Suffering here and now is no reason for you to be ashamed of your faith, of the gospel, of your brothers and sisters. Amen? It's a normal part of life. Suffering here and now is normal. Suffering as Christ did on the cross, persecution for his name is not shameful. And to follow in his steps, to die, is not shameful at all. You notice how Paul says he is the Lord's prisoner, not Nero's prisoner. Paul knows ultimately that God is sovereignly in control, that it's God's purpose. Suffering is the Christian's glory. Suffering is the Christian's glory, according to Romans 5.3. 1 Peter 4.12, 2 Corinthians 4.17. Suffering is the Christian's glory. We're going to talk more about this in the next point. But brothers and sisters, before we move on, of course, the gift of the pastoral office through the laying on of hands, is a gift that is specific to Timothy and to pastors. Yet the gift of the Spirit, power, love, and self-control is available to us all, to all believers. So, my challenge, my question for you, how are you fanning the flame, the gift of God that is in you, in times of fear and timidity, in anxiety, and in times of worries? Do you recall to mind the gift of the Holy Spirit in you at your conversion? Do you recall to mind the truth of God's word, which is more of our certain reality than what our feelings or our circumstances determine for us? Do you have godly brothers and sisters like Timothy had Paul to remind you and to encourage you who you are in God and who you are no more in the flesh? Do you have brothers and sisters like that in your life? When you feel weak and powerless, that in him is power, When you feel hatred and lukewarmness in faith and numb in your spiritual passion for God, that in Him is love. When you feel lack of control or things seem out of control, that in Him there is self-control. That last one is good, isn't it? When the circumstances around you lose 
control, when things are chaotic around you, you know the one who is sovereignly in control of it all, the King of kings and Lord of lords. As Colossians 3.2 says, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. Seriously, how might you submit your fears and your worries to God today, right now, this moment? All of your problems, all of your plans, even your viewpoint, even your perspectives. How might you pray, Lord, I surrender all. I want to see what you see. I want to hear what you say. And I want to know what you deem true. How might you pray that today? How might you submit to him today? One more brief point of application here in these verses. God has gifted the church with pastors and elders. No man can be a pastor or an elder because they simply want to be, at least at a biblical church. They have been given by God as gifts to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry according to Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. They have proven themselves to be qualified for the office of the pastor according to 1 Timothy 3. They have been affirmed by other qualified pastors and elders and the congregation as a whole in which they are called to pastor according to 1 Timothy 4.14, 1 Timothy 5.22, and 2 Timothy 1.6. In light of this truth, how might it change the way you relate to your own pastors? Hebrews 13.17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy. And not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Hebrews 13, 17. So members of NCBC, if you don't want the elders of this church to care about your life, let me say that again. If you don't want the pastors of this church to care about your life, you joined the wrong church. You joined a church where the elders and the members have covenanted together to oversee one another's discipleship in love. And humility. Amen? Is this what you joined to? Amen? So if you don't show up, we're going to check in on you. Yes? Thumbs up? Right? If you're sick, we're going we're to drop some food off at your house. Amen? If you're struggling, we're going to go and pray with you. And, and struggle with you. And intercede for you. Amen? We're going to oversee one another. Because that's what Christians do. That's what the Christian church is. Amen? Dear beloved brothers and sisters of New Covenant Baptist Church. I consider it one of my highest and greatest privileges to be called as one of your pastors. I do not take this office given to me as a pastor of this church lightly. And I know Jacob and also Jeremy, who's about to leave to pastor in New Jersey, feel the same. Of course, you see from our passage, pastors are not immune to fear and timidity. But I pray that you would look to the one who has bestowed the gift of the office of the pastors in local churches and will work together with us, pray together with us, that you will obey and submit to your elders as you yourself and we ourselves as elders ourselves obey and submit to Christ. God has given us the wonderful gift of the local church and the offices of elders, deacons, and members to grow together, to serve together as Christ himself builds his church. Has he not? I promise by God's help and your encouragement, I will be a faithful pastor until however long the Lord will have me here. And Jacob, where's Jacob? And Jacob promises too. Amen? I think he's with uh, Abby. Will you then promise to be a faithful member 
as long as you have covenanted here by your submission, by your participation, by your contribution, by displaying the power, love, and self-control granted to you, and by sharing in suffering for the gospel together with us, yes or no? One more time. Come on. Amen. Point number two, why should Christians be unashamed of the gospel when fear and suffering come our way? Point number two, because of the power of the gospel, according to verses 9 and 10. Paul says to Timothy in the second part of verse 8, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. In studying this passage, I think this may be my second favorite verse next to the verses we will read in verses 9 and 10. Because this phrase is just glorious in every word, in every way. Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Again, every word is so full of meaning. Instead of being ashamed, instead of being timid and fearful, instead of backing down in the face of trial and difficulty, who cares about those difficult, annoying people? Paul is saying, look to Christ. Look to Christ. Keep your eyes on Christ and press forward and press onward and press upward. Share in the suffering for the gospel. Be a partaker of Christ's suffering, according to 1 Peter 4.13. Be a co-heir with Christ as we suffer with him, as according to Romans 8.17. But, but, not suffering by way of being trampled upon. No, this is not some loserish, pathetic suffering because we are weak and helpless nor the result of our own frailty and sin. This is a glorious suffering for the gospel. This is an effort for Christ's truth to be proclaimed and witnessed. It is worth it, and it's glorious. Persecution, imprisonment, opposition, and even death cannot thwart the purposes of God, you see. This suffering is by the power of God. Somebody say power. Power. Oh, my goodness, are you ready? to talk about what I'm talking about, what what Paul talks about is the real power, the power of all powers, why Christians do not fold in the face of fear, why Christians don't back down in the presence of persecution, why Christians don't stand down amidst Satan's schemes, because the power of the gospel from verses 9 and 10. Listen, true Christians are not ashamed of the gospel in the face of fear and suffering because the power of the gospel is the only power that has conquered sin, Satan, and death once and for all. If you want to know the power of the gospel, Paul invites Timothy and us to suffer for the gospel at the end of verse 8, and you get to experience its power through the gospel at the end of verse 10, you see. And so what falls in between in verses 9 and 10, what Paul explains is the power of God. The power of the gospel is this, reading from the end of verse 8. But share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Brothers and sisters, guests and visitors, Christians and non-Christians, this is what it's all about. Life and death and afterlife, the purpose and meaning of life, a lack of knowing it is source of misery and pain and emptiness and vanity in this life if you do not know this truth, if you do not know this good news for all eternity. But the knowing of it is abundant life and joy and peace and hope and eternal glory. It is the best news you will ever hear. In all of the world's religions, 
in all of man's philosophies, in all of the headlines of history, that God saved a sinful, selfish, self-centered, and self-righteous people and called a people to a holy calling to be a righteous people is so unheard of. But it is true. Not because of our own works, but because of God's own purpose and grace. Measureless grace, infinite grace, wonderful grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. God's plan of redemption was set before the foundation of the world that God's own son, Jesus, would come to save his people. How? That's verse 10. And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. How do we know that? Jesus was God's plan all along because every single one of God's promise and prophecy that has been written in the Old Testament has been fulfilled, has been manifested, shown, revealed, proven through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. By appearing, Paul here means Jesus' incarnation, Christ who became flesh and dwelt among us, truly God and truly man. Why? Why? So that as man, Christ can undergo a substitute death on the cross. And so that as God, he may abolish death, destroy death by his resurrection when he rose on the third day from death, from the grave. And by his resurrection, Jesus brought life and immortality to light, meaning he brought true life, not a life bound by sin and slavery to the flesh, to money, to temptation, to unfulfilled desires. No, true freedom, true life here on earth and immortality for all of eternity. That's what Christ brought for us. Of course, as Christians here on earth, we will experience bodily death, but just as Christ was resurrected, we also will be raised with him to live with him in the new heavens and the new earth. It is through the gospel this good news has been made known, brothers and sisters. What other better news is there on earth? What more trustworthy history is there? Every other religion is ultimately about man trying to work their way up to heaven by good works. But that is, as we know, an impossible task. Think about it. It doesn't make sense. If a man can save himself, why won't more and more people do it? If a man can reach perfection and righteousness on their own, on our own, why such brokenness all around and pain and suffering and sorrows on earth? Why would any creator and sovereign God want to share his glory with another? That is why the God of the Bible says in Isaiah 42.8, I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I will give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. There is only one true living God. His name is Jesus the Christ. The gospel is the good news of his salvation. Amen? Guests and visitors, I want to plead with you, if you especially are not a Christian, to think rationally with me for one minute. You don't really believe that all of this was created by a big bang, do you? that everything evolved from one single-cell organism. What catalyzed the Big Bang? What planted that single-cell organism? The truth of the matter is there is an intelligent designer behind it all. His name is Jesus. John 1.3 says all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being. Colossians 1.16 says, for by him all things were created. You can doubt and be skeptical of the Bible all you want to, but what better answer can you offer? What better answer can the world offer? Save Jesus, who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me.
No one on earth has ever spoken such bold and radical claims as Jesus did. No one in history has ever even come close to the influence of Jesus that he had in his short 33 years of life all around the world. Romans 1.16 says, therefore, the gospel is the power unto salvation. So dear friend, if you are here and you don't call yourself a Christian, what answer do you have? What other option, what choices do you have? I want to urge you and persuade you Would you repent? That means to turn from trusting in the things of this world and in yourself. Would you believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again for you? And would you trust him with your whole life today and tomorrow and forevermore and run this faith race with us starting today? If you want to know more about how you can follow Jesus, we would love to speak with you after service, at the close of service. The elders will stand by the doors. Or if you don't make it to us, there's many, many people next to you. If they're extra smiley, that means they want to talk to you. We'll be eager to share with you why Jesus is the most amazing, awesome, wonderful Savior and Lord. Dear NCBC family, I pray your hearts are fanned into flame by the power of the gift of salvation and by the power of the gospel at work in you and among us. I pray that the power of the gospel will overflow in your lives in proclamation of it to others around you. How are you sharing in suffering for the gospel? The question is, are you? Are you being denied? Rejected, persecuted, misunderstood because you are standing off for the truth of the gospel? This is what the Bible says. This is what Christians believe, do, and speak, and act. And as a result, are you experiencing suffering? Then praise God. Then praise God. You are and will experience its power. He is at work in and through you, even in imprisonment, even in persecution, even in suffering, even in misalignment, even in misunderstanding. God is at work in and through you. I encourage you to share in suffering for the gospel and through the gospel. The gospel is the purpose and the means of the Christian life. Know it. Know what the gospel is. Love the gospel by protecting the who and the what of the gospel through the local church and share the gospel through faithful discipling and evangelism through this local church body. Amen? Third and finally, much shorter point, why should Christians be unashamed of the gospel even when fear and suffering come our way? The power of the guarantee, verses 11 through 12. Look at those final verses. It says this, For which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Friends, I hope I don't have to convince you any further why sharing in suffering for the gospel, through the gospel, is the glorious purpose and the glorious power of the Christian life. If you feel like your life as a Christian is boring and lukewarm, go out there and share the gospel and you will experience joy and power immediately, I guarantee you. Go to your non-Christian friend and start sharing the gospel. Go to your non-Christian family member and start sharing the gospel. And let me know next week how it turns. You will feel that fire burning in you. Amen? But if you need further exhortation and encouragement, Paul gives Timothy a personal example. Paul says, for which I was appointed. The word I is emphatic. Paul is saying, I of all people. You see, the gospel has a tendency to humble us, doesn't it? Paul is saying, I, a humiliated prisoner, a chief of sinner, I, even I, was appointed, chosen, elect, selected by God for this call. As a preacher, a herald to boldly and publicly proclaim the gospel. As an apostle, the one who was specifically chosen and commissioned by God for this task. And as a teacher, one who has been assigned to this pastoral 
obligations. This appointment was from God, which is why I suffer as I do. I know my God, and I know myself was what Paul was saying. Paul is saying, I am his prisoner. I am his bondservant. I am his child. I am his subject. I do as he does. I do as he says. I go where he goes, to the cross and to eternal life. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. Do you know whom you have believed? He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, brothers and sisters. And Timothy, Timothy, Paul says, I am convinced beyond a reason of doubt, no matter what comes my way, though sorrow, need, and death be mine, yet I will never be forsaken. Whatever God ordains is indeed right. I am convinced that he is able to guard you and I and us until that day. What has been entrusted to us, the glorious good news of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, the certainty and guarantee of Paul's confidence was not in himself, was not in the situations and the circumstances of life, but in the sovereign and powerful God. As Paul says in another letter in Philippians 1.16, of this I am sure, of this I am certain, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. How might truly believing in this promise give you power in your days of fear, shame, and persecution today? How might knowing the hope and the end of all things in Christ change your perspective even in the darkest of days? Dear beloved NCBC family, may we not be ashamed. May we not forget. May we daily remember the power of God's gift, your conversion, and our holy calling, the power of the gospel, Christ's glorious good news, for anyone who would hear, and the power of our guaranteed salvation and our eternal reward in Jesus Christ, our Lord. The power, the gift, the guarantee. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that even in the face of fear, we do not have to be afraid. Father, even in the face of death, we can be bold. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this shocking uncomfortable reminder that in this life there is nothing that will ever fill us or satisfy us. Father, we as the children of God have been called to a purpose to suffer for the gospel for Christ's sake. Father, help us to partake as co-heirs of Jesus Christ. Father, help us to partner together with brothers and sisters next to us to truly run this race and not be Christians by name only. Father, help us to live and die for you all the way until our dying breath. Father, help us to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in us today, tomorrow, until Christ returns. We love you. We thank you for this wonderful reminder. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.